When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to another astonishing edition of the Game Day Preview Podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface. This week, bonfires have been all the rage. Expect more heated Anfield as Pep fans the flames ahead of a meeting of the top two on Sunday. Fireworks promised at the King Power where explosive Leicester take on Unai Emery's gunners who need a rocket up their arsenal. Uh, Palace, who looked like they were lit at the start of the season, have seen their sparks stubbed out by back-to-back home defeats. They go to the bridge to take on Roman's candles. Plus, an incendiary derby between Wolves and Villa, Burnley against Wilting West Ham, Newcastle, Bournemouth, Spurs, Sheffield United, Norwich, Watford and Southampton, Everton. It's game day from TalkSport. This is Game Day Premier League Preview Show. And in the studio this week, exploding in all directions, Alex Crook. Hello, how are you? I'm good, very well. Exploding out of his trousers. (laughs) All right, we're 90 seconds in and there's the first dig. There you go. And someone who knows from his playing days that once it's gone off, you don't return. Certainly explains the number of moves he has as a player. Uh, David Connolly, how are you? I'm very well. Similar to you, I think, in the media world, Sam, maybe. (laughs) An exciting week, so let's not hold back any longer. Filing Salah now with a burst into the penalty area. He's checked away from me. Firmino with a low shot. And on a day of records, Roberto Firmino becomes the first Brazilian to score 50 Premier League goals. Liverpool unstoppable. Now Walker. Bernardo Silva again. It's lovely play to pick out the run of De Bruyne. And it's clipped in for Aguero. And that is absolutely magnificent from Manchester City. Tottenham were picked apart. Van Dijk onto Mane inside the area. Back on terms. It's a well-crafted goal. Robertson was involved in it, but Mane applied the finishing touch. Liverpool Man City is a 4.30 kickoff on Sunday. The game at Anfield last season was dull. Mares missed a late penalty, but this one's going to be anything but, isn't it? Yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be fantastic. And and you have to say, and it, it seems amazing at this stage of the season what we're in the first week of November if Liverpool win I think the title race is over I just cannot see Manchester City making up that gap when you think they only lost one game last season Liverpool alright they've had their luck a little bit this season but they just find a way to win they're relentless and I think it's a must win for Manchester City they find a way to win but if they were to stop finding those ways to win at the end of games and if you look back at the statistics and the matches that they've won in the last few minutes of games over the course of this season there's been a lot of those late bits of drama which have turned in Liverpool's favour when that stops happening they will drop more points won't they Liverpool because they're not playing particularly they haven't played anywhere near their best well well, possibly but what I would say is last season those games they would draw they wouldn't turn them into victories. So they drew seven. That cost them mm. the title, not the defeats. And five of those were away. And this season, obviously, they're going away and they are getting late goals, whether it's, you know, your Leicesters of this world, your Chef use. So, you know, your Villas. And they're able to do that, which they weren't doing last year. So <clears throat> whether they're leaving it late or not, I think Man City of uh, and Pep is under severe pressure. Okay, so let's just concentrate on the leaving it late bit because they've picked up 10 points from losing positions. Does that say that they've been lucky? It's to do with diving, as Pep Guardiola stirred it up with earlier in the week? Or is it 
the fact that actually they're a lot fitter than most other teams. They're a lot more tactically disciplined than a lot of other teams. And towards the end of games, when players are tired and they're losing their shape, they take advantage. It's not luck. I mean, Manchester United did this for year on year under Alex Ferguson, particularly actually after they lost the league title to Leeds right at the start of the 90s. They won the league the following season. They scored twice, of course, in stoppage time, seven minutes of stoppage time against Sheffield Wednesday. And I think the fact that Liverpool have come so close last season, they've just got that extra desire, that extra determination that it isn't going to slip from their grasp this time. But also those comments from Pep, that to me smacks of a man under pressure. He knows his side have to win this game. The fact you're yourselves have just come from behind to win an important game and within seconds of coming off the pitch you've got a microphone thrust in front of you and your first thought is to out Sadio Mane as a diver I can see right through that well we had the conversation a couple of weeks ago when I played the interview that I did with him after the Crystal Palace game a game that they had won once again but yet he came out almost demanding that people give his team more respect and he sounded then like a guy that was feeling the heat a little bit Do you think that's the case? Oh, I think he certainly is. But, I mean, if I go back to Liverpool just quickly, um, all those late goals you spoke about Fergie, it's almost, Fergie time, it's almost clock time now, you know, and and I was having this conversation with, with, uh, on TalkSport 2 about uh, Klopp and, you know, who's his closest sort of managerial counterpart in the Premier League? Well, it's not Pep. Pep is a field coach. Klopp is not a field coach. Klopp's a man-manager. He is one of those like a Alex Ferguson, that sort of type. He gets people in and around him who who can obviously improve him, enhance him, whether it's, you know, um, Pep Liner's his coach, whether it's a throwing coach, all these sorts of people. He recognises, okay, I might not be the best field coach, right, but I might be a brilliant tactician. I might be a terrific man manager, you know, and there's a lot that goes into that, which will get you points at end of games. It's not all about sometimes you know that sort of technical practice on the on the training ground so that's what I think is going in Liverpool's favour this year plus they've got an additional couple of players that they really didn't have last year who are now fit the Ox obviously getting four in four Lallana's mm. popping up I know his form is still he hasn't quite hit the heights but he's still but he's in available the he's least. available yeah Origi so they've got players in and around it Cater, so they can mix things up and so they'll need all those depth. they'll need all those players because they've got to play at least uh, two games in 24 hours in the next few weeks anyway um, just focusing on Manchester City a little bit I mean Liverpool three clean sheets in 18 now They've got the players to take advantage of that, haven't they? Of course they have. And I, I don't think it's going to be nil-nil this season because I think what we've learned in the first dozen games or so is that is that both are probably more vulnerable defensively. City because of their injuries, uh, Liverpool because they've changed their playing style slightly, uh, partly because of the invention of VAR, actually. They like to give a higher line now. I think Klopp's come out and said that. I just think man for man, Liverpool look in a better position than me, better shape. City haven't convinced all season, even against Southampton, that that wasn't a convincing performance. OK, the fullbacks played a key role in that game against Southampton. Who plays in those positions at the weekend? Well, that's an interesting one. I mean, I just wonder, would he do anything different, you know, in terms of at the back? Would he go to, as he has at times when he first came in, go to a back three? You know, would Walker, for has example... Has he got enough defenders to do that? Well, I, I think he's got wing-backs, certainly. Could be Cancelo um, as, a, as a wing-back. Could be Mendy as a wing-back. Could be Ancolino. It could be Angelino, exactly. But I think that he's got it all to do because when they've struggled, I think, City, it's been against real pace. And if you look at how, for example, Mane's playing, maybe not Salah, whose sort of form has dipped a little bit, you've got to say, but certainly Mane with his pace, if he can... So playing Walker as part of the back three rather than playing him as a wing-back might be beneficial for them to try and stop that threat, to absolutely. nullify that threat. Yeah, absolutely. So I just wonder, he might try something different here. Um, there's no David Silva, which I think is massive for them. Who will get a chance? Will it be Foden? Be big call to go and trust him in there, but he's capable. Manchester City are used to having more shots than a player's night out with Derby County. But uh, remarkably, it took them until, what, minute 76 to have their first shot on target against Saints? Yeah, despite the fact they were dominating possession. And you have to give Southampton a little bit of credit, especially when you think they conceded nine in their previous Premier League game. They got men behind the ball. They worked a lot harder. They tried to restrict that space. So so let's let's take our hat off for Ralph Hasenhutl for that. But again, I just think it was an unconvincing Manchester City performance. They've been... Too many of those this season. We've spoken about it on the podcast before. I think Guardiola has a shelf life. 
I think he works the players very hard. And I think physically, they just seem to have dropped a level. They were unconvincing in their defeats, but most of their performances, they've won for a start. And they've been pretty comprehensive in, in, in a lot of their games. Well, you've got to remember as well against Southampton, they set up obviously back five, go and break us down. Obviously, they got that first goal. Yeah. Suddenly, you've got something to hold on to. And then it's quite hard to break them down. Obviously, they've had the 9 0 thrashing as well. They played 10 men behind the ball. It's not that hard really to break Southampton down, believe well, me. Well, look, when you've got that goal and you've got something to cling on to, well, they changed their goalkeeper as well, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that had been coming, didn't it? Crikey. Are you still friends with Brian Gunn? Or, <laughs> Do you know what? He hasn't tweeted me to defend his son for a while. The story here is is that uh, about six weeks ago, Alex started Longer than that. To, it was the last game of last season. All right. He started to criticise Angus Gunn and he got uh, into a spat with Angus Gunn's dad, Brian, former Scotland goalkeeper, Norwich goalkeeper, on Twitter, didn't you? Yeah. He, he came back at me after a couple of tweets criticising Angus's goalkeeping. But I think anybody who's watched Southampton on a regular basis this season would know that I was right and Brian maybe been a bit clouded. Okay, let's move on to Saturday, 5.30. Leicester against Arsenal. I'll be there with Dean Ashton for game day on TalkSport. It's one of three live commentaries we've got for you this Saturday, available around the rest of the world on Premier League Live. The Foxes, the feisty upstarts are at it again. Arsenal's gaffer has uh, had a haircut, though, and uh, started to wear his glasses in press conferences to try and make himself look more uh, leadership. Are they still on the verge of something special, David Conley? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> they are They are having a, a magnificent season. But we're going to keep bringing this up, by the way, every single week. We even did it when you weren't here last week. Oh, really? <laughs> OK, a grittier performance by Leicester. Um, and that's what Arsenal don't have, isn't it? I mean, Leicester, last week against Crystal Palace, had to dig in a little bit, had to take their time before creating and then scored a brilliant goal. I mean, the goal where Damari Gray jumps over the ball, it goes through into uh, Jamie Vardy, first-time finish. It's a fantastic, well-worked goal. Uh, the perfect sort of goal that I think Brendan Rodgers will be walking around giving himself a little fist pump about afterwards. But they also have an, a sort of nastier side, a naughtier side as well. And those two centre-halves have been magnificent. Yeah, so I you in particular. Um, people, Leicester fans were worried rightly when Harry Maguire was sold but I think the biggest compliment you can play so on you is they haven't missed Maguire at all and 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 Leicester really at everything that Arsenal aren't at this moment in time they've got a manager who's got a clear plan a clear direction as you say they've got their steely determination they're scoring fantastic goals Arsenal are a mess and and that for me is epitomised by this debacle with the captain's armband uh, Xhaka rightly has had it taken away from him it's gone to Aubameyang but well, you say rightly why rightly I mean he, he's basically been abused on social media he's lost his head he isn't particularly he hasn't had a particularly good season he hasn't had a particularly good Arsenal career but who has I mean ultimately once you've nominated your captain as soon as you get to the first sign of trouble and you ditch him that's not very good for your own standing amongst your players is it? No and I think really, really this debacle is a sort of microcosm for, for what Arsenal are under Unai Emery the, the fact seemingly that you put the captain's armband in a tombola a lucky dip and whoever picks it out gets it it's not quite like that but they, they've made a mockery of the armband when you look at some of their previous captains your Tony Adams your Patrick Vieira people who wore that armband with pride real same leaders. process as Pep used to get a captain at Manchester City though yeah I don't think it's done them any favours either because I think since company left Manchester City there's been a lack of leadership on the pitch for them and that's probably what will cost them a title at the end of the season it's it's just a farce I mean you can tell me David Connolly have you ever been in a situation in a dressing room where the manager said right lads you pick the captain and also why pick one of your worst players who you know the fans don't like anyway I think they set him up for a foul yeah I mean I don't see any justification really for, for trying to support Xhaka in his actions I really don't. I mean, when you're subbed and you're being taken off, I look at other captains. Jordan Henderson, a lot of times, gets taken off. You know, he doesn't sulk and moan. He jogs off pretty quickly, hands his armband over, sits on the bench, as you should do. I mean, Jacker, if he'd have sprinted off, I think it, this would have been all forgotten about, brushed under the carpet. But I think he made it more about him, really. And it wasn't. It was just about the team. And that frustration comes through from the fans, a little bit on him, but also about the team. They want more. They want better. So I would have taken all that with a pinch of salt, to be honest. Look, should he be stripped of the captaincy? I don't know. We can debate that till the cows come home. But I think it's the right decision. Oh, do you think it's um, the right decision to bring Mes Ertzel back into the team yes absolutely 
I mean, he looks, you know, when he plays, he's on a different level to everyone well, sometimes else. Sometimes he is. Well, yeah, but I mean, sometimes is because what? It's, you need to sometimes play. You can't just play and expect a 10 out of 10 performance every week when he hasn't really had the chance, the opportunity to play. So I think actually the more he leaves him out, Una Emery, and the more decisions you that he has to make, the more worrying his management becomes, to be honest. Well, his management's worrying anyway, isn't it? I mean, they have not improved since he took over the no. football club. They've actually possibly even gone backwards. They don't look like a team that's anywhere near challenging uh, for the uh, the top four. If you look at the gap between uh, fourth and fifth, it's six points. If you look at the gap between fifth and 16th, it's six points. That's how far they are away from the likes of Leicester, who they're playing this weekend, Chelsea, Manchester City and Liverpool. But the stats will tell you that only Peppers won more points than Unai Emery. So, Since when? Well, uh, I think that was since he taken over, I well, believe. That, all that tells you is, is that other teams have just been pretty inconsistent and they've just been moderately average. And yeah. that's masked Arsenal's failings in, in many ways. The fact they were still able to finish in the top six last season was largely because of the... Uh, deficiencies of the teams around them rather than anything they Which did. Is they the same thing that's going to happen this season. They <laughs> should have finished in the top four last season. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the season, they lost at home to Crystal Palace, didn't yeah. they? They dropped points at home to Brighton. It, it was there for the taking. They didn't take it. They were an absolute disgrace in that Europa League final. I think Unai Emery's a dead man walking. Well, they, I really were, do. they were they were completely outplayed by a superior team, making a mistake in Europa League final. But Chelsea were magnificent in that. Right Not for the first, the first half game. hour. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you go back to the Wolves game. They had 25 shots, Wolves. And if you see for the goal, Ceballos just doesn't switch on. So that, a lot of it is down to when they don't have the ball, obviously. That's their big problem. Have they got that grit, that desire when they don't have it? It exactly. seems to be it's just all about when they have the ball. And Leicester do have that and they have the desire. They're going to be at the King Power. It's going to be a sellout. It's going to be a great noise. Arsenal aren't particularly good on their travels. And they've got to face Jamie Vardy, whose economy is absolutely brilliant. He's scored 10 goals from 21 shots this season, which is a much better conversion rate than even Sergio Aguero. It's a home banker. I, I can't see anywhere. And I was speaking to an Arsenal fan actually on the way into the studio and he said, we are going to get obliterated and I can't see any other outcome. Well, I was just going to say, all those goals, nine one touch, right? There's only one more than one touch, which was the goal against Southampton when he cut inside Yoshida. Mm. Three headers, uh, four left foots, three right foots. And he is like the ultimate centre forward he really is the ultimate striker that England could do with but he's not available but he's not available (laughs) and you've got to remember he doesn't have Riyad Mahrez behind him yeah and he contributed something like seven goals before he left but he he does have James Madison Uh, okay next up Watford can they turn Norwich into mellow yellow The Premier League's bottom two meet on Friday at Carrow Row with just four points from a combined ten games between them, placing them in 19th and 20th respectively going into this weekend. The win over Manchester City seems like a different season for the Canaries at this point, whose injury problems continue to hamper what could have been a successful season, though many of the walking wounded have now returned to training. The goals have dried up as well, with Temu Puki scoring just once from his last 19 shots, while the other end has been leaking, with 12 conceded in their last five. As for Watford, well, they've not even got a famous win over the champions to hold on to from this season, and after 11 games have no wins, the last team to do that was QPR, and they went down. Kike Sanchez-Flores has tried to build from the back, but it seems they've all but stopped trying to score goals. Gerard Delafeu's penalty was all they could muster against Chelsea, having drawn a blank in three of their last five matches. A loss for the Hornets here, and they could start to look adrift at the bottom. Thanks to Tom Rennie. Uh, He'll be back a little bit later on. This is Tasty, 15 miles separating Wolves and Aston Villa. And we have uh, at the Villa View and at Talking Wolves to give us our talking points this week on our Twitter takeover. Thank you very much for your contribution. We'll get right into this, starting off with at Talking Wolves. Hello, my name is Dave from Talking Wolves and these are some of my big talking points ahead of Wolves' big game against Aston Villa this weekend. And firstly, in terms of creating chances, it's been a difficult season for Wolves, uh, at times being the lowest ranked side for chances created but on Saturday against Arsenal we had 25 shots which is the same amount of our previous three Premier League games put together so the change in tactic and the change in style definitely worked there 
Diogo Jota, he was the key man when we faced off against Villa at Molyneux a couple of years ago in the Championship. He's suspended for the Europa League game this week, so he should be fresh and fighting for that game on Sunday. And he looked a real handful against Arsenal last weekend as well. And finally, it's been a very much a season of two halves for both of these teams. If there was the Premier League table based on first half results, Aston Villa would have the joint most, whilst Wolves would have the joint fewest. And in a table based on second half results, Wolves would be second in the Premier League. So really, really differing halves for both teams. Cheers, Dave. Thank you very much uh, for that. Uh, he talked about those chances that you mentioned in the Arsenal game, David Conley. Will Villa give them that sort of opportunity, that room, that number of chances? Because they're quite an open team as well. Yeah, they are. I think they will. And Wolves are going great guns at the minute. You know, obviously trying to balance Europa League is always going to be difficult. Um, and they have struggled. But, you know, their form has certainly got much improved. I mean, they brought 3,000 fans to the Emirates. I mean, they were fantastic. It's a great football club. This will be an epic game. So I think I think the form at times can go out the window. This just, I imagine, will be a really fast, high-tempo game. Both sides will think that they can win and both sides are, are in pretty good form. And I think both of them are going to have a good season. Let's move on to the At Villa View. Their three talking points, starting off with the rivalry because according to him and the Villa fans, the Wolves-Villa rivalry isn't the massive thing that maybe the guys from Molyneux want it to be. He says here they finished ahead of us twice in the last 25 years or whatever. Fair play to them. Good side. However, it isn't the big rivalry they push. We will always be the big boys of the West Midlands. I suppose Wolves will be determined to sort of prove that's not the case, won't they? Yeah, although historically Wolves' arch rivals have always been and always will be West Bromwich Albion. It's a bit like down on the south coast. My regular patch, Southampton against Bournemouth. Bournemouth fans have tried to whip it up, but actually, as we saw earlier this season, Southampton against Portsmouth is still the number one game on the south coast. But listen, there's a lot of clubs um, in the Midlands and, and they're all vying for that position of supremacy. Wolves, of course, have had it in, in recent seasons with what they did in the Premier League and qualifying for the Europa League. But like David, I've been quite impressed with, with Aston Villa. I thought they put a really good shift in mm. uh, against Liverpool. I still worry for them where the goals are coming from. I'm not convinced that Wesley is someone who's going to hit the back of the net regularly. And I think they're going to stay up um, and, and that is an achievement, but I don't see them finishing above Wolves. He's massive, Wesley. Absolutely huge. And he, he's built brilliantly, so muscular. He looks very strong, but he doesn't bully anyone. And one of the big problems that they had when they went to Manchester City the other week was when they'd send the ball up to him, he didn't push anybody out of the way. I mean, he was quite easy to knock off the ball. Yeah, he reminds me of the form of Allaire at West Ham at the minute. They're both pretty similar, you know, not holding the ball up, um, really struggling to get in the game, struggling for goals. But I think that in and around him, he's got players who are really exciting. And oh, look, they've had a tough run of Gainesville, obviously Man City, Liverpool. Mm. It eases somewhat. Look, this will be a tough one away from home. But after that, they've got Newcastle a little bit resurgent. You think, well, you know, I think this is these are the two games they might need points from. Certainly away. Something like a point here for Villa, I think would be brilliant. OK, uh, he also goes to uh, mention at the Villa View, Jack Grealish, ready for England. It's going to happen sooner or later. No other English player plays like him. Uh, I think we probably agree with that, although he's injured at the moment and might not be available for those uh, internationals that are upcoming. Um, a new breed of promoted club is his final point. Wolves and Villa, two examples of promoted teams playing the right way and wanting to compete in the Premier League. Is the gap between the bottom half of the Premier League and the top championship sides that big really and I think that's an interesting point actually do you know what I think it is I think there are probably eight teams eight established Premier League teams I would include Newcastle on that list Southampton Bournemouth to a lesser extent who are petrified of relegation mm. and and that comes across in their performances particularly against the big guns whereas what Aston Villa have done and, and, and Sheffield United who we'll probably talk about later there's a fearlessness about them. They want to compete. They're not afraid to go toe-to-toe with these big clubs, as we've seen from Sheffield United at home to Liverpool and at home to Arsenal. We saw from Villa against Liverpool. And I think it's been a breath of fresh air. It makes it a much better division. Yeah, Aston Villa are certainly falling into that category. And then they held their own against Manchester City uh, the previous week and then went to Liverpool and gave the, then entertained Liverpool and gave them a scare. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the, the concern for them is the amount of points they've lost from being ahead. Yeah, they could be much yeah. I think it's something like 11 points mm. they've lost. So they could be doing much, much better. But I think Dean Smith will be delighted. You can really see a bit like Chrissy Wilder at Sheffield, the imprint he's having on that side, even in the Premier League. It's clear the style of play, how they're going to go about it. I guess, you know, 
Aston Villa have probably got more cultured players. Possibly, you might say that. Really? Possibly. More cultured than Diego Poss- Jota? Poss- oh, no, than um, Sheffield. Oh, than right, Sheffield. Okay. But I think that, you know, they're both going to really add to the Premier League this season. Oh, Sheffield and... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Right, let's get back to game day. Near post header from Christian Pulisic. It's a perfect hat trick. Left foot, right foot, header, and the American gets his first senior goals in English football and he makes it a hat trick. Pulls out on the left hand side for Palace. They run into the area. Batuai protecting the ball at the edge of the box, being helped out by MacArthur. Now here's Andros Townsend at the edge of the box. Goes down, penalty kick. Foul by Proper who put the challenge in. Townsend went down. Penalty for Luka Milovievich to take to get Palace back level on TalkSport. Arks is run up and sends the keeper the wrong way and Palace are level. Chelsea against Crystal Palace is our lunchtime kickoff for this week. 12.30 live on TalkSport and across the world on Premier League Live. Game day starts at the bridge. Uh, from the thrills and spills of the Champions League and what a fantastic game it was on Tuesday night to another one of those games that Chelsea have to win if they want to cement a place in the top four, in my opinion. And I think they've done this really well recently because they've played Burnley, one. Southampton, one. Watford, one. All negotiated well by Chelsea. How much tougher will Crystal Palace be, though? Mm, that's interesting because I did the game against Watford um, for TalkSport and Chelsea, don't get me wrong, they were good, but it reminded me of Chelsea at the start of the season where they were good for maybe patches of it, like a good 45, maybe a good hour, but they dipped in and out. They, they could have really won that did. game a lot more if Ben Foster hadn't made so many saves. They could, but they, they were really sloppy at times really sloppy gave the ball away allowed Watford to get back into it Watford actually were in the ascendancy the last say 15 minutes of the first half and at the start of the second but they then they just conceded and then mm. after that obviously they went for broke and there was a few more holes and obviously look, the quality they possess going forward is absolutely outstanding in particular the two central midfielders and when you watch those two close up Jorginho Kovacic they're like metronomes we, met, we mentioned it last incredible. week on the podcast right last last year these two were getting absolutely battered but this year they've been fantastic the one thing about Kovacic which I really like is the way he carries the ball and drags the team up a pitch he can open things up for you because of, he's so good at dribbling with the ball and getting through very tight spaces. He's, they're so calm as well, on the ball, so calm. And uh, look, they were really impressive. Out of all the players, you know, all the attacking talent, those were the two. And forget the assist from Jorginho, which was out of this world. I mean, well, it wonderful. really was. Yeah. But just their general play, they were always on the move. They very rarely stood still and just gave Chelsea a sort of platform to build off. The only concern is that, again, they conceded. Now, well, they wouldn't have considered without VAR, would they? No, but I think it was a penalty, and it, and it might have been soft, but 
it was a penalty. He did make contact. Well, I think it's one of those that divides opinion because I spoke to a Premier League official this week who said to me, I wasn't sure that it was a penalty. And then obviously it had been given by Anthony Taylor, who was the V. Was it Anthony Taylor the VAR? Was Martin Atkinson the VAR? No, Mike Dean was the VAR, wasn't it? Anthony Taylor was the referee. He didn't give the penalty. And then it was overturned by the VAR. Now you're only supposed to overturn it if it is a clear and obvious error by the on field referee. But the on-field referee had seen it and then decided it wasn't enough for a penalty. No, I mean... Was when, it that clear and obvious no, that he should have overturned it? Oh, no, absolutely not. When we're looking at it first time, but then on the replays that they show you, yeah, it does make contact. And you could say now with the advent of VAR, it was a penalty. But concerning for maybe Lampard and his team is, you know, lots of people say, well, why can't they challenge for the title? Well, it might be because... Because they scored four, conceded four goals on one Tuesday night. Well, Ridiculous goals. And, and yeah, putting that aside, they've conceded 17 already. Yeah. League. It's just crazy. And when they won the league, I think it was 0405 under Mourinho with Lampard, they only conceded 15 yeah. the whole season. Um, Mason Mount injured right ankle for a second time. It was initially hurt in the Valencia game and then he had a problem in the Champions League game in the week. How much of a miss is he going to be? Yeah, clearly clearly a big miss because he has been one of the real success stories of the season and it's a worry uh, when a young player starts to pick up these injuries on a regular basis at the start of the season maybe it's just his body adjusting to the rigours of the Premier League we shall see but I think you've been a bit harsh harsh on Chelsea because I think their supporters at the start of the season would have if you just said you're going to finish in the top four which of course is not guaranteed but they've given themselves a great platform they would have snap your hands off of that they're a young team they're going to make mistakes they're learning on the job in many ways but but the the abiding emotion of Chelsea fans is what Frank has done and what these fantastic young players who've really brought into it they've brought the feel good factor back to Stamford Bridge and, and a lot of people have fallen it's great to watch, back in love it? with Chelsea once again hey, look, a lot of their fans who were disillusioned under previous managers I mean before the season started I was championing him and saying they're going to have a great season mm. well, all I'm saying is people are saying could they win the league I well, they can't, the well they can't win the league. They can't win the league. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, one, no one realistically thinks that that's possible. Do they? No. It, it, it's Liverpool or Manchester City. After this weekend, it will probably be just Liverpool. Just one of them, yeah. Um, what about Crystal Palace? Roy Hodgson uh, has done a reasonable job in charge of them, but their results have got a little bit sticky as the opponents have increased in terms of stature. And, um, you know, they, they've got a point at Arsenal, but maybe that's not as... <laughs> much of an achievement as maybe well they're a special team special team well, look. <laughs> it was we'll always see. going to happen for Crystal Palace uh, what they did at the start of the season uh, Bournemouth did it a couple of years ago when they were 8th after 10 games they took advantage of a kind fixture list yeah and, this and has happened to Crystal Palace before actually under Alan Pardew and at the same time he had the same points as Roy Hodgson had before they went into the Man City game and ended up getting sacked before New Year it can change very quickly. It can do, and the worry for them is obviously they've scored about the same amount of goals as Jamie Vardy, and that puts so much pressure on you. It really does, and you know some of the markings certainly um, on Sionku for the goal was was really poor. Gary Cahill taking his eye off, or really just focusing on Johnny Evans. Yeah. But um, I guess when you don't score that many, it puts an awful lot of pressure on you. And I I think they really need to sign in January. They really need a strength and I think it's going to be a difficult game for them. IU's form has kind of tailed off. They've only really got Benteke coming in as a backup mm. and that's just not going to be enough for them. And you look at what Michi Bashuai is doing, you think, well, you know, could they have turned that into a permanent in the summer? I don't know. Did they try hard enough? Did I'm they sure they Chelsea would have sold with the embargo, would they? They couldn't well, have sold with, because yeah. they didn't have enough players themselves. So it would have it probably would have been a, a tough one to ask, but they'll probably end up maybe losing players in January rather than buying players, I think, Crystal Palace. We shall see. Might depend on something that happens at the Court of Arbitration for sport. Uh, talking of pressure, things looking rocky for Pellegrini. He should have held on to Adrian! The meeting of the boys in Claret and Blue at Turf Moor could have come at the worst or best time, depending on how you look at it. Both teams' recent form has been poor, with the home side losing their last three, the visitors losing three of their last four. What's gone wrong at Burnley? Well, to put it simply, they are uncharacteristically conceding soft goals, and far too many of them. The spanking by Sheffield United would have been hard to take. But manager Sean Dyche won't panic. He says only hard work can put things right, and definitely don't dive, all right? Whatever you do, it's only going to set him off, whatever the result. 
At West Ham, the criticism of Manuel Pellegrini's team selection and tactics against Newcastle, where they should have been 5-0 down at half-time, has been fierce. If there's one thing we didn't expect from one of the league's most experienced bosses, it's rookie errors like playing Pablo Zabaleta against Pace. At the other end, Pellegrini can't find a formula to suit striker Sebastian Allaire, or Manuel Lanzini, or Felipe Anderson, or Andre Yarmolenko for that matter. So it could be a good match for both, as they're facing weak opposition. Shame they're both so bad at the minute themselves. Tom Rennie with his assessment of Burnley against West Ham. Let's move on to our Dream Team section of the programme. And Andrew Butler is here. Hello. Hello, Sam. How are you doing? I'm good. John Joe Shelby scored his first ever direct free kick in the Premier League with his 31st attempt on that basis, you're not going to rush to put him in your team, are you? No, you won't. Um, similarly with the 0.1%, my favourite stat on Dream Team of uh, players who don't or have picked um, John Joe Shelby this season. 13 points all over doubled his uh, points for the season. He's now on 24, got 13 points in the game. Uh, quite an impressive performance from Shelby, but it would have been brilliant if that, that goal, that um, that shot that he had, which was the outside of the boot, mm. the one that came off the crossbar, that would have been a lovely one. But... Um, decent enough a good performance but um, the person that I also as I always come into the studio and talk about Miguel Almiron yes almost got close again didn't he almost got close (laughs) this is what we're this is regression this is what we're reduced to now yeah he almost got close 1,677 minutes for Newcastle without a goal or assist Ah. uh, since his arrival at St James's Park um so don't pick him as per <laughs> usual um, Jetro Willems is a decent shout for, for Newcastle Newcastle kind of slim pickings um, across the board but Willems in the game at 1.7 million Sam um, Maximum what about him surely Sam he Maximum, was brilliant wasn't he he was brilliant if he could um, finish he would be sensational yeah. Yeah. he should have scored shouldn't he when he was clean three through. times yeah, at least. yeah and I think that's probably his his, his problem he's uh, he's only been picked by 0.1% uh, of teams as well Sam but, Maximum but he carries that could have been him it could possibly. have been he could picked him. himself he carries the ball really well yeah. and he runs for miles and miles and miles with yeah. it at his feet And then, but by the time he gets to the penalty area he looks a bit cream crackered yeah he looks a bit like Miguel Almiron actually by the time he gets to <laughs> the penalty area um, I don't know why I've got such beef with Almiron he seems like a, a, a thoroughly nice bloke yeah I don't know why you have either yeah, it's unlike you I would you're like usually him so friendly sc- like maybe it's because um, as a uh, six foot three inch uh, wing back as you are <laughs> um, maybe you're scared of his, his, his presence I don't know I uh, would not be able to tackle him uh, Newcastle fifth but they have played already this season Chelsea, Spurs, Arsenal, Liverpool and Leicester um, they've done well enough haven't they when they start playing those around them do you think they'll pick up more points David? Well I think they're certainly coming into form and Bruce looked much happier didn't he after the game just saying mm. you know hopefully now they'll take to me a bit like they did to Rafa because he, he knows he's got a tough act to follow there but he's given it a good go look he's got a lot of his players now back fit which he didn't have so he's had to cope with that he doesn't have a, a number nine really of any note to get him some goals so I think he's just struggling through until January and then hopefully he'll get some additions in January and that will really help him no no real promise of that though from Mike Ashley just yet they take on Bournemouth this weekend who won against Manchester United at uh, the Vitality Stadium a week ago I was down there for that I thought Bournemouth played really well defensively Steve Cook was absolutely immense and Ake yeah, yeah, very good, both of them. Steve Cook's um, another one who's only been picked by 0.1% of, of, of managers in the game at 1.9 million. Um, Diego Rico, congratulations to him. He's become the first Bournemouth player to hit 50 points this season, so wow. far on Dream Team. Takes um, corners. He's takes corners, takes a few set pieces as well. Um, he's the sixth highest scoring defender on the game this season. He's still only 1.8 million as well, so definitely worth a look, Rico. And um, yeah, I thought I agree with you. Bournemouth looked really good against a fairly mediocre Man United team. I know this dream team is, is fairly new, but actually when I was at West Ham, we had a version of this. Only about 25 years, yeah. Well, okay. Say, <laughs> take his back. It's on the verge of something special, actually. Yeah, it's it is, yeah. Compared to, like, Let's world. go 15 yeah. years ago, right? And I was at West Ham. Yeah. Alan Pardew was the manager. Okay. And after the game, you would get points for your involvement in the game. But it invariably centred around just what Alex said there, if you're on set pieces. so And marks out of 10. And marks out of 10. So Michael Carrick, for example, would always be top of the tree because he took every set piece and it was a version of Dream Team, which I didn't really know at the time. He was he, he was quite a good player, though, that Michael Carrick, wasn't he? He, he went on, was, yeah. did quite well after yeah, yeah. At West Ham, didn't David, he? David, did, um, did Pards give his own mark as well for how good a manager he was? Uh, <laughs> he probably did. I'm sure it'd be a 10 every week. Good. But, uh, 
now, just when you thought that uh, Rashford and Martial were going to, um, I don't know, rejuvenate your dream team, Bournemouth uh, gave them a bit of a custard pie. Who can inspire a second South Coast splat this week? Well, Neil Mopai has been really impressive um, for, for Brighton. We spoke very early on at the start of the season about whether or not these sort of strikers will be able to um, step up from the championship and and he's now Brighton's um, top scorer in in Dream Team so far this season 2.3 million 34 points similar in a way to to Newcastle there's there's not a great deal of standout players but Mopai um, is is looking lively he's keeping on scoring the 7 plus rating points of uh, of 3 points and it's uh, yeah he he looks pretty good Um, defensively they've been Okay, I just can't believe that there's you know they're they're eighth in the league. This is a, this is Man United versus Brighton, and United are tenth, Brighton are eighth. Like really impressive. What about um, Trossard? Yeah, absolutely. Because I was at the Amex and the name on everybody's lips. Yes, he was absolutely amazing against Everton. Then obviously he scored again at the weekend and uh, was really involved. So I imagine. Yeah, Trossard's in the game at 2.4 million. He scored 10 points last weekend. He's only got a total of 23 so far this season. Obviously, it doesn't help that Brighton only play in the Premier League, whereas Dream Team takes into account all the other competitions. But um, Trossard, I agree, was 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 really impressive. And uh, I mean, if if he's going to be one of their key men for... I don't know what we're saying about Brighton. Are they still hoping to, to stay out this season? Or the centre-halves. What about the centre-halves? Because obviously they always crop up with goals. Webster's nicked one and... Duffy. Duffy, Duffy obviously. Duffy got star man um, last, last week. Yeah. Um, 13 points as well. They must yeah. be good for a few points. Yeah, worth well, Webster it. got an own goal the other week, didn't he? Yes, he did. It was uh, against Everton, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the Richarlison one that hit him on the head and then went in. Oh, yeah. He was credited with an own goal for yeah. that. Big Dan Byrne, the, the biggest left-back you've ever seen. I know you make a, a joke about Andrew's height for a wing-back, but Attenborough would have a field day just watching Dan Byrne go up and down the wing. It's a documentary in itself. <laughs> Are you uh, saying that I'm freakish? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. He's not saying you're freakish. I mean, have you seen him? We have to make him sit down when we do the preview videos. Um, a quick word on Manchester United then. As a Manchester United fan out and out, who would you pick in your dream team? Well, Martial. Um, because when he plays well, United win. That's the statistic, isn't it? But I, I don't know what to make of United. You think they've made progress, then they go and turn in a performance like that against Bournemouth. I'd pick Trossard as a Man United fan. <laughs> There you go. All right. Thank you very much, Andrew. Appreciate that. Thank you. Let's turn our attention to Southampton against Everton. Here's Tom Rennie. Southampton have recovered well from their record-breaking beating at the hands of Leicester. Sure, they've lost both games since away against Man City, but it could have been worse, all right? They could have been playing at home in front of the traumatised locals. Just one point from five games at St Mary's is the worst start to a Premier League season for any club since Birmingham City in 2005, who went down come the end of the campaign. Can this side get on the front foot against Everton? Will the fans get behind them if they go a goal behind? Will they even show up? Everton are winless in eight Premier League away games, losing each of the last four, so might be decent opponents for the Saints to face. The point against Tottenham for the Toffees, well, that was really hard-earned. Just ask Andre Gomez. Can they use it as a catalyst to turn their ailing season around? They sit just outside the relegation zone at kick-off, three points above Southampton. Now, before their midweek trip to Belgrade, Spurs had won two of their last 10 matches. They sat 11th in the Premier League, still do going into the weekend. Harry Kane, with his sharp new haircut, says he can't put his finger on it. Not the haircut, their form. Um, now, you can bet that Chris Wilder has worked out what their problems are, and he'll have a plan for it, won't he? Yeah, this is a tough game for Tottenham. At the start of the season, you'd have fought home to Sheffield United will be, will be a home banker. It isn't going to be a home banker for anybody I did the um, Everton Spurs game for TalkSport live and listen, it's been overshadowed by the horrendous injury uh, for Andre Gomez and, and the Son red card, which correctly has been rescinded. But what that has done is disguise the fact that Spurs were really poor, two really poor teams actually, Tottenham and Everton. All right, they scored a good goal and, and I think Spurs fans will be hoping that it kickstarts Deli Alley's season and you could see with the celebration that he was there, you know, sticking the proverbial two fingers up to his critics. So, listen, good luck to him because he, he badly needs to, to find some form to work his way into that European Championship And as squad. funny as that celebration was where he went down and slept on the floor at Goodison Park in reference to something that happened in a newspaper or was reported in a newspaper, 
that was reported in the summer. Most people have forgotten about that, hadn't they? Because it was so long ago. Which just shows how long he's been exactly poor been planning, for, really, doesn't he's been, it? He's been planning that for ages. Yeah. I mean, I mean, actually, I think that said more about his form than it did about his critics. I agree, but it was just a strange performance from Tottenham. It wasn't a Maurizio Pochettino-like performance. They were timid. Um, they were poor in possession. You can see the confidence has been drained from them. Before that game, they'd they'd lost 19 of their last 43 matches. That is incredible. But it was a rubbish game. A lot of the reason and the blame for that lies at the heart of VAR, Absolutely. doesn't it? I mean, and it was... I mean, I, th- I don't want to go down on Martin Atkinson, who I think is a very good referee, but I think that the VAR did not help him at all during that game and actually I think all of the decisions that went to VAR were wrong I think every single one of them was wrong and even speaking to officials afterwards some officials believe that they're wrong as well and the reason for that is is that it's actually inconsequential that it hits it, it comes a little bit off mm. uh, Yerry Mina's shoulder before it hits Deli Ali's hand the fact is his hand is above his head yeah. which is punishable by a penalty absolutely but it still in took, law still took what 26 Replays. Oh, I don't know. Just Absol- Twenty-six. Absolutely incredible. Three minutes. I mean, I was in a pub. I had three game... pints while they were doing yeah, that review. Yeah, I think it, that would have been a wise call for a lot of the fans, and I'm sure they'd rather have done that to be honest. But also, it's the communication issue as well, isn't it? You know, there's not enough clear communication about that. I understand that the uh, the other thing is is a bit of a problem is is that you and I might look at two different incidents uh, or the same incident and have two different views on whether or not a decision should be a penalty or not a penalty. Now. If you and I are sitting together watching it, we might have a conversation. The very fact that we've had a conversation and both of us aren't 100% sure would mean that it's not a clear and obvious yeah. error, correct? Yeah. Now, the problem here is, is that when a VAR and an assistant VAR are watching these replays, it should be pointed out that the assistant VAR is a non-speaking role, so he cannot give his opinion on the matters in hand. So it is solely down to the opinion of one person, and that person then has to decide whether or not it should be overruled. But that's because obviously what they don't want is consensus because consensus would possibly lead to whichever one has their opinion being the main lead opinion. So I, I guess they want impartiality, just want one person who's qualified to do that role. But, so I can understand But if it's that, a subjective de- decision, how middle. do you know whether or not it's clear and, and obvious? That's up, to, that's up to that man who's obviously making that decision, like the man in the middle. They've got the man in front of the TV screen. I guess I, that's where I can only... See how it works. We've in strayed into VAR here, but because it, because because it is important, I think that we we got that information out about the non-speaking role of the assistant VAR, which I I must admit I wasn't I look, aware. I of. think I think Sanchez fouled Richarlison. That should have been a penalty. Yeah, it should have been a penalty. I don't I mean, think the Son one was possibly not. But I, I think it was because I don't think Eri Mina attempts to play the ball. He throws himself into Son. I think Son's punished just because he dived afterwards. He was, but he certainly was impacted by Yerry Mina, who who basically made a tackle with his body. Yeah. But it, he didn't go down at that point. He he waited and went down a couple of seconds later. And when you do that, you, you're always causing yourself a problem. But you're right. Certainly the rest of them 100% agree. And again, it's this refusal by referees to come and, and have a look themselves on the monitor. Which I mean, they did why, do in the Champions League in, the, in midweek. Why have we got monitors at 20 Premier League grounds? Because they haven't been used at 210 games. Yep. Not, not one visit to the monitor. It's which nonsense. Is, which is odd. Anyway, we should concentrate on the game itself. We've mentioned that it could be difficult for uh, um, Tottenham Hotspur this week. And one of the reasons it might be is Sheffield United striker Lise Mousset, who's been involved in five goals in his last three Premier League appearances. Two goals, three assists, one more than in his first 63 appearances mm-hmm. in the competition uh, down in Bournemouth. And having watched him at Bournemouth, I used surprised by how well he has done at Sheffield United? A little bit, I've got to be honest. Uh, when I found out that he was going to Sheffield United and, and for the fee that they were paying for him, I thought Bournemouth had done a really good bit of business there. But um, he looks a bit fitter and a bit sharper and a bit more determined to make an impact there because I don't necessarily think he always conducted himself in the right manner off the pitch, shall we say, at Bournemouth. So Chris Wilder has clearly got into him. I think he made a uh, a comment about his lack of fitness when he first signed. He's worked on that. And listen, there is a player there. Uh, Eddie Howe always had belief in his ability, but I don't think he had belief in his ability to manage his body in the right way. If he can do that, I think he'll, he'll have an impact. He certainly, I think, 
playing under the right manager because Christian Wilder, if you remember, with Leon Clark, he was basically a journeyman centre-forward and he turned him into a prolific centre-forward for him for a couple of seasons. And I think he's got that about him. He's another superb man manager. Tells it like it is. He's honest, like he was with Henderson. Um, he's not afraid to make subs, make changes. I think Spurs are going to find this really tough, like they did against Newcastle, up against a back three, stroke a back five, but this one's in really good form. Keep off the greasy chip butties is probably the advice. Maybe I should do that. I was going to say. Okay, it's time for the commentator's curse. It's where we put the uh, mockers on players this week by giving a statistical reason why they should do brilliantly. You know what it's like. You say someone's fantastic. The next thing they do is give away a penalty for Gerard Delafeu. I started ranting on Twitter this week about how great Kovacic and Jorginho had been. And then all of a sudden, Jorginho kicked uh, Delafeu and gave a penalty away. I saw those tweets. I didn't know if they were you or Ryland. But um, yeah, glad you cleared that up. Okay, uh, I'm going to put the commentary curse (laughs) on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I'm going to uh, see him on Saturday on game day, 5.30 this week on TalkSport and around the world on Premier League Live. Now, did you know that since his first away Premier League appearance in February 2018, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has scored 16 away goals, the third most goals away from home behind Harry Kane and Jamie Vardy. However, he's never scored an away goal on a Saturday. He scored two on a Monday. He scored two on a Wednesday. He scored 12 on a Sunday. But never has he scored an away goal on a Saturday. Until, possibly, this weekend. Wow. Mm. That is a great stat. I think the run might go on. What have you got for me, David? Well, I've got a... Always well-researched. Yes, always well-researched. <laughs> you always put a lot of time on this, I, don't I, you? I Especially do, this yeah. bit of the show. Yeah, this is my favourite part, this one. Another centre-forward. I've been trawling around, seeing what I can find, and I've come up with a, a really good one. Oh, go for So, it. Chris Wood of Burnley. Oh, yes, Chris he Wood. He scored in all four of his games against... West Ham. Ooh. And who did Burnley have this weekend? Huh? West, West Ham. Ham. Good wow. knowledge. Good well, knowledge. That is particularly good. Thank you. Um, Alex, what have you got for me? Yeah, well, seeing as we're in the presence of a former superstar striker and David Connolly, I thought I'd go down the striker route as well. Um, Harry Kane is the focus of my attention. Ah. Uh, if he scores this weekend, then he will go above Martin Chivers as the third highest scorer in Tottenham's history. He scored 16 times in 17 games for club and country. Staggering. That is impressive. And and you do wonder where would Tottenham be without him? Yeah, indeed. In the bottom three, probably. (laughs) They're not that far away from it now, to be honest with you. Uh, Right, Okay. thank you very much for your company today. Really enjoyed that. Um, We've got game day this week from uh, three Premier League games, starting off at Stamford Bridge. Live commentary on TalkSport and TalkSport 2 of back-to-back Premier League games, finishing at Leicester against Arsenal. I promise you that will be something special. Uh, Across the globe on Premier League Live, you'll have all the best matches as well. If you'd like to subscribe to Game Day, you can do it via Acast, Spotify, iTunes or Google Podcasts. We'll see you next week. And remember, the record book and the Game Day verdict are all out this weekend. Make sure you tune in. That was a game day Premier League preview show, a Talk Sport exclusive podcast. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.